Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Bate, Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 9th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenyans are voting today in presidential elections. People are really ready, but they were surprised and shocked with the news last night that uh, some areas the elections is going to be suspended because of printing problems uh, on the governor's part. We will have analysis of today's vote. Kenya's electoral agency upgrades technology to avoid voter fraud. Analysts say the arrest of two Zimbabwe journalists is out of sync with press freedom norms. Malawi's former anti-corruption chief is arrested for graft. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken gives U.S.-Africa strategy speech in Pretoria. By 2050, one in four people on the planet we share will be African. It will shape the destiny not only of this continent, but of the world. And the Eswatini government and teachers are at a stand-up over back to school today, Tuesday. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The people of Kenya are voting today, Tuesday, for president. The leading contenders are Raila Odinga and Deputy President William Ruto. Abdul Shakur Abu of VOA Swahili Service is in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. He says Kenyans are excited and ready to cast their votes, although there was a small setback late Monday when a court of appeals suspended a high court decision authorizing the Elections Commission to use a manual register alongside an electronic one. Polling stations are opening at 6 o'clock around the country. People are really ready, but they were surprised and shocked with the news last night that uh, some areas, Kakamega and Mombasa, the elections is going to be suspended because of printing problems uh, on the governor's part. But as a whole, everybody is saying they are ready for the elections. Many people have been moving and going home because in Kenya they are allowed to register to vote wherever they feel comfortable. And most of them, they vote at their birthplace. Shakur, I, I want you to tell us more about this uh, late decision that you just mentioned about the court coming in to suspend uh, elections in certain areas. What do you think is going to be the impact of that? Well, it's, the impact will be specifically in uh, Kakamega and Mombasa, where it was uh, expected to be a very strong battleground. But as a whole, it's the Electoral Commission, IEBC, which suspended the election. And they're saying there was a problem of printing the ballots. In Mombasa, for example, the ballots for the governor of um, Kilifi was found in the ballot box of Mombasa. So they had to suspend it. In Kakamega, there was a problem where the running mate's name was not included. Somebody else's name was in there. So that was a confusion. So they had to stop it and they're going to reprint the ballot. And the company which printed the ballot has agreed to take responsibility and pay for all the costs of the mistake. I was reading the Monitor in neighboring Uganda, and they talk about how already some Kenyans are fleeing Kenya into Uganda for fear of a repeat of 2005 and 2017. They're really talking about the violence that took place so um, what are the security forces, what have they done or the Elections Commission has done to prevent a repeat of 2005 and 2017? Talking with a lot of experts, talking with uh, people here, 
they don't believe we will see 2007 or 2017 because all the sides they've been talking of peace the catholic church the muslims and all religious leaders have been having prayers to make sure that elections are held peacefully and the security has also assured people that there won't be a repeat. President Uhuru Kenyatta himself also said he won't allow that to happen. And I think the campaign of Raila and Ruto has helped also to make sure that there will not be violence. Raila said, if Ruto wins, I will agree he's the leader. And Ruto said the same thing. So it looks like there will be a very, very slight chance that we will see violence like we saw in 2007 or 2017. Shakur, thank you so much uh, for joining us on Daybreak Africa. We will check back with you again Wednesday morning. Thank you very much uh, for having me. That's Abdul Shakur Abu of VOA Swahili Service on assignment in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. In Kenya, the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, also known as IEBC, says it is ready to administer today's elections. Analysts say the presidential contest between incumbent Deputy President William Ruto and main challenger Raila Odenga, the former Prime Minister, will be competitive. This, as recent opinion polls show Odenga ahead of Ruto, Days before the vote. For more on the expectations of Kenyans about today's polls, viewers Peter Clotter reached Java's Bigambo, a lawyer and governance expert based in the capital, Nairobi. The voters will be streaming to the polling stations and centers with very many expectations, or very high expectations this morning. One, Independent Elections and Boundaries Commission, the IBC, the body that's mandated to conduct the election, will carry out the election in a manner that is in accordance with the law, impartial and transparent. Secondly, voters highly expect that the kits that are going to be used for identification of voters, the biometric identification of voters, will not fail. Additionally, regardless of who is it that wins various seats, but especially at the presidential level, that there will be no cases of instigated violence. It is impressive and encouraging that the two leading presidential contenders, Honorable Raila Odinga, former Prime Minister, and the sitting Deputy President, uh, William Ruto, have indicated that none of them is going to resort to any violence or incitement, that in case one is aggrieved that they will go to the Supreme Court, which has got the original jurisdiction in determining a presidential petition for disputes arising from the presidential election results. I spoke with a few Kenyans who were yes. dismissed that the two leading presidential candidates have yet to commit to accepting the outcome of Tuesday's election. And they believe that their lack of commitment or promise to accept the outcome could in itself trigger their supporters to engage in acts of violence after the elections. What is your take? Raila Odinga has indicated in the past, not too distant past, that he will accept the outcome of the results. William Ruto has indicated that he will accept the outcome of the results, though on his part he's also indicated that he is sure of winning. Now, looking at and examining and analyzing the sentiments of these two competing and front, you know, front runners, one gets the idea that each of them is keen on winning, factually speaking, they go to the election to win, but in the event that one of them loses, as either one of them has to lose, then it is possible that they have to find a mechanism of quelling the despair or desperation, anxiety, 
or the infuriation of their supporters. It depends on them. Are these political parties and their candidates pleased or confident in how the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission will organize this election or administer this election on Tuesday? Well, so far, in the run-up to this election, up to the end of the campaign, the various political parties, the various candidates, or those that are running uh, as independents, have made indication and statements and pronouncements that they are confident with the manner in which the Independent Elections and Boundaries Commission is preparing and has prepared for this election. Additionally, earlier when the IEBC was meeting with the presidential candidates and their agents, it invited them to even observe how the presidential ballot papers and other ballot papers are being printed. The agents and the representatives of the presidential candidates went and observed how the printing was being done. The election materials have been received and dispatched to all the election centers in the country at the county levels and the constituency levels. And so far, any issues that has been of concern, for example, the issue of uh, failure to print the extras from 34B for the presidential results that were raised, and for this election, they had a meeting with the IBC, and the IBC pronounced itself on that matter. So, so far, we have not seen or had any furore being raised by any candidate or presidential candidate or any political party so far. That was Kenyan lawyer and governance expert Javas Bigambo. He was speaking to viewers Peter Clotty. For the presidential elections today, Kenya will rely heavily on technology to verify voter, identify, and transmit vote results. The electoral body is at the center of attention as it tries to clean up its image. It was tainted after irregularities led the Supreme Court to annul the 2017 presidential vote. Mohamed Yusuf reports. Kenya's Electoral Commission says it's set for Tuesday's general election as election materials arrive at more than 46,000 polling stations across the country. Boya Molu, one of the commissioners of the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, said his team is ready to conduct the election. In terms of training, all our people have been trained, they are properly informed, from technology to identification of voters through technology, to election laws, to crossing of registers by the new uh, court ruling, it's just systems are set. We are just ready to take off on Tuesday at 6 a.m. On Sunday, the commission fired four election officers for allegedly meeting a candidate to help rig the vote in Western Kenya. The electoral body was heavily criticized for mismanaging the 2017 presidential vote. Kenya's Supreme Court nullified the election, saying the electoral process and the constitution were not followed in conducting the poll. Joy Mudiva is a lawyer and political commentator based in Nairobi. She said the biometric technology kits the electoral agency relied on in 2017 failed from the start to finish. The last election in 2017, there was massive failure of many of the kits. Many of them did not uh, bring up the voters' um, details on time or uh, when time came to transmit results, many of them failed. They were not able to uh, get in the network to send the results. Medivo attended two IEBC assimilation exercises in June and July, showing them how the integrated election management system works. She explains how the system differs from the 2017. The voter details now doesn't just take the thumbprints, now takes all 10 fingers. So your fingerprints are captured, all 10 of them, and there's also it takes facial recognition, so they take a, a picture of you as well. 
So those who do not have hands or their fingers are, are not able to pull up their biometrics can be identified by inserting their ID numbers and their facial the picture that was captured during the registration will be brought up, so you're able to verify. The Electoral Commission said the results announced at the polling stations will be final. The head of the commission will have to go through all the results before announcing the final presidential results. Martin Andati, a political analyst, anticipates fewer problems since President Uhuru Kenyatta is not competing in the election. In this election, the two main challenges are Raila Odinga, 77, who leads, according to the recent polls, against 55-year-old William Ruto. Ruto is running for the first time and Odinga is vying for the fifth time. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 9th. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken gave a speech on the key U.S. strategy for sub-Saharan Africa at the University of Pretoria on Monday on the first leg of his Africa trip. Kit Bartlett spoke to some of the students who watched the speech. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken stressed the value of democracy and the threats to it in his address, saying Africa was an equal partner that the U.S. wanted to work with and would not dictate to. By 2050, one in four people on the planet we share will be African. They will shape the destiny not only of this continent, but of the world. Lincoln spoke about the blow the pandemic has dealt to Africa and economies on the continent, as well as food insecurity, he said, had been deepened by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He also addressed a wide range of issues, including conflict prevention, misinformation online, science and technology, as well as climate change and clean energy. So what did South African students think of the address by America's top diplomat? Zafashea Dalmini, who has just finished a master's degree in political science, was skeptical. Listen, every single foreign policy, every single national interest is always going to be their national interest. It's not ours. We know that. She also thought Blinken didn't address how U.S. domestic politics influenced the rest of the world. She referenced the overturning of the U.S. landmark case Roe v. Wade, which protected a woman's right to an abortion, and the global gag rule, which blocks U.S. funding for abortion counseling or referrals, as examples of things she thought he should have spoken about. International relations student Billy Bachabela Manama, 22, said Blinken's speech heavily promoted good governance, which he acknowledged had sometimes been a problem on the continent. Look, a lot has always been mentioned on democracy, rightfully so it has been mentioned on democracy, especially looking at the history of, of Africa. Manama added that he believed that, like the U.S., South Africa also stood for equality and human rights. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Pretoria. The Anti-Corruption Bureau in Malawi has arrested its former director, Redneck Mantemba, for allegedly taking a bribe for a contract to supply food to the country's police service. John Suzy Banda, the former director of Malawi's public procurement agency, was also arrested. Both are expected to be officially charged with abuse of power and could face up to 12 years in prison if found guilty. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The Anti-Corruption Bureau spokesperson Egrit Andala said in a statement, Matemba and Suzy Banda were arrested over the weekend for allegedly receiving kickbacks from a businessman, Zuneth Sata, to supply about 350,000 food ration packs worth 7875000 U.S. dollars 
to the Malawi Police Service. She says investigations established that Matemba pocketed 10,000 US dollars as an advantage for the vetting process of the food rations contract, while Suzy Banda received 3 million Malawi kwacha or about 2,900 US dollars from Satas agent Zun China to influence Suzy Banda to award the Malawi Police Service contract to Satas company without objection. George Peele is a political science lecturer based in Nzuzu, north of Malawi. He says the arrests confirm how rooted corruption is in Malawi. It's important that they have uh, arrested uh, the former chief of the anti-corruption bureau. And uh, this gives a picture of how the corruption was in the country. It shows that it had an arm of government, judiciary, uh, legislature and executive, all these have been found with corruption cases. The current director of the Anti-Corruption Bureau, Martha Chizuma, said last month that in Malawi, a week does not pass without new revelations about corruption. Peter Sambani is a senior legal prosecution officer for the Anti-Corruption Bureau. He says Matemba, who is now on bail, has yet to be formally charged. The Corrupt Practices Act under Section 42, it requires that um, for the Bureau to prosecute, we need to obtain consent from the DPP. And as such, we cannot um, charge the accused person other than we just bring the accused person to court and tell them the reason for their arrest. However, PD says this is worrying. Because it makes no sense arresting a person in the morning and releasing by bail in the afternoon. Yes, bail is the freedom of a person, but it shouldn't take years before such a person is brought back to court. However, Minister of Justice officials say the Malawi government is working to address challenges which contribute to delays in concluding various cases. They cite a recent move by Malawi President Lazarus Chakwera to appoint seven new high court judges to clear the backlog of cases in the courts. The arrests of Matemba and Suzy Banda come during Malawi's 20-week-long anti-graft campaign, which Chakwera launched last month. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Zimbabwe has charged two journalists under its cybercrime law in a move that media advocates say runs counter to global trends to support and promote press freedom. For VOA, Columbus Mavunga reports from the capital, Horare. Editor Wisdom Mutsungairi and senior reporter Desmond Shingarande were called in for questioning last week over their coverage of a legal dispute involving local authorities and a memorial park in Harare. Both deny the charge and Chingarande says he was surprised when police called. They allege I published the false statement on the internet, but I see this as an intimidation tactic. There were allegations that they are burying people on a part of Glen Forest Memorial Park called Chikomochemute, which is situated at the confluence of Mazoe River without approval from the responsible ministries. Chingarande says he sought comment from all sides in the story before publishing it. But with the story now part of a police matter, he says he's unable to say much more. Muzungairi and Chingarande are the first journalists charged under the new provisions of the cybersecurity law 
that Zimbabwe enacted during the coronavirus pandemic. The Media Institute of Southern Africa says such laws are a means to target journalists and citizens. Tabani Moir has the regional media watchdog. These are some of the challenges which we continue to have in Zimbabwe. When, when we make progress in repealing acts such as the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy Act, then the government claw back uh, using other pieces of legislation to retain elements that will then further target journalists. To have penal or sedition provisions in our statute books uh, that target journalists is so out of sync uh, with the global trends towards uh, the issue of protection and uh, promotion of uh, media freedom and journalistic expression. Zimbabwe is not alone in passing such laws, said Moyo. Zambia, Eswatini and Tanzania enacted cyber security laws and Namibia and Lesotho are finalizing similar legislation. Moyo says health penalties including up to 20 years in prison for those deemed to have shared false news goes against democratic norms. A stem to democratic existence uh, and out of sync with our own constitution which provides for freedom of expression and media freedom. For Newsday journalist Wisdom Mudzungairi and Desmond Chingarande, they are now waiting to hear from the court officials on when a trial in their case will take place. Columbus Mavungam for viewing News Harare. In Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, there is an apparent standoff between public school teachers and the government. The country's education ministry has ordered all teachers to report to their classrooms today, Tuesday, or lose their pay. But the teachers say they fear for their own safety. This after a group calling itself the Swaziland International Solidarity Forces called for the closure of schools on Monday and Tuesday to protest the continued incarceration of two members of parliament. The group threatened to retaliate if security forces use force against protesters. Mbangwa Dramini is president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers. He tells me that under Eswatini laws, teachers have the right to protect themselves from danger. Currently, there is uh, political instability in the country, whereby we've got numerous attacks. Usually, uh, the attacks started from the, the security side, whereby they've been uh, taking civilians at times, shooting them, even throwing uh, tear gas canisters inside buses. In fact, after that, some civilians or some groups started to retaliate in such a way that uh, they started even attacking the security forces. Some soldiers have been shot dead and some police officers have been attacked and even some police houses have been banned by civilians who they call themselves solidarity forces. Mbongo Adramini is president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers. He was speaking with us from the capital, Mbabani. A spokesperson for the government of Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, says today, Tuesday, will be a usual, normal, and peaceful day. The country's teachers are refusing to report to their classrooms on Tuesday to protect themselves against perceived danger. This after a group calling itself the Swaziland International Solidarity Forces called for the closure of schools on Monday and Tuesday to protect protest the continued incarceration of two members of parliament. The group threatened to retaliate if security forces use force against the protesters. Government spokesperson Afios Nzumalo tells me the government is now worried about a faceless group. The position of government, my brother, remains the same. 
The situation tomorrow, it will be as it is today. There was a normality in the country. People who wanted to go to work or to go about their usual daily business, they did so without any disturbance. And we've got no reason to believe that tomorrow will be different in any way from today. So peace prevails in the country. What does the government know about this group called the, the Swaziland International Solidarity Forces? Because this group is calling for a protest Tuesday. We don't want to talk about conspiracy theories. There is no anything that you could call a force that is invisible. So I cannot answer that question because here we are dealing with Facebookers who are advancing theories of the so-called solidarity forces, which no one can identify in their physical form. Theos Dumala is the Eswatin government spokesperson. He was speaking from the capital, Mbabani. And that's it for this Tuesday, August 9th edition of Daybreak Africa. I'm James Barton, Washington, wishing you will have a